Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing today? Good. It's so good to be here with you today to be able to share, break open the Word of God, be able to talk about the things of the Lord. Nothing better than that. Amen. Well, in case you're new here, my name is Alan. I'm the Outreach and Connections Pastor here at Centerpoint Church. And uh, some of you know this, but I, I grew up in Northern California, up by San Francisco. Anybody up from the Bay Area? Yes, you know. And uh, I, I, over my lifetime, I've coached about six different sports, two of them professionally. And uh, one of those sports, that, I, that doesn't mean a whole lot other than I was paid to do it. Yeah. And so uh, one of those was gymnastics. I spent most of my life doing that sport. And... Uh, uh, what was interesting about it is I became a high-level coach, and in fact, I became the, the men's head coach at Santa Cruz Gymnastics, where I was going to college, suffering, doing theology classes, and hanging out at the beach, learning to surf. Yeah, that was real rough. And by the way, for all you surfers, I suck, so don't worry about it. Uh, anyway, so, um, uh, and I was also the women's head coach at Watsonville Gymnastics and coached at a variety of different places. But interesting to note about uh, a high-level sport like that is that in order to get to the place where you're part of the elite program where I was coaching and uh, actually a feeder into the Olympics, so some of our students would go off and then begin to train with uh, Bella Caroli, you remember him from Romania, planted in, in Texas, and he trained up people like Nadia Comaneci, Mary Lou Retton, and things like that. And so um, at that level of coaching, you, it takes many years to get to the place where these students can do some of the things that we're gonna be asking them to do. And so it would go through incredible training. In fact, uh, an average student at that level would be spending about five to six hours every day, six days a week in the gym with me, their coach. And so um, one of the things I remember coaching, which was pretty interesting, I was always the one who was the one who would catch when they would be uh, doing incredibly difficult, challenging skills that were like, could be life-threatening, they could be paralyzed for the rest of their life. So one of the things I remember doing was the double twisting, double backflip. So what that is basically, they do a round off back handspring. For all of you that don't know gymnastics lingo, they run across the carpet and then they, uh, they, they jump up in the air and they do two backflips while doing two twists at the same time and then landing on their feet. Well, they would go through years and years, literally, of training, doing drills. We would hone every muscle that goes into that stunt in order to make sure that that muscle was fully trained and it had repeated that same motion hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of times to make sure that when they pulled that thing off on the ground, they didn't land on their neck and get paralyzed. And so we would go through all kinds of drills, not going to uh, bore you with all that, but one of the things that we did is we had a harness in the gym. So we had a ceiling usually about this high with ropes that came down like this, and it came down to a belt. It looked very similar to a contractor's belt, except it had wheels so that you could spin inside of it. And so we would attach that student or that gymnast to that belt, and I would hold a big, long rope, and as they would tumble across the, uh, across the ground, if they looked like they were going crazy or out of kilter, I would hold that rope to keep them from landing on their head. Pretty good thing. Excuse me, pretty good thing, right? There you go. But then there came that one moment, that one moment when that gymnast had to do it without any ropes or any harnesses. And the only thing keeping them from potential death was their training and me as their coach. And so what we would do is I would place them on the other end of the, the carpet and I would stand there and I would watch. Now I wasn't watching to see if they were prepping themselves right, if they, were, if they were, had their body in position correctly because that's secondary to the single most important thing that they had to do. 
So in a high-level sport like that, one of the things that you do and you practice is you practice seeing yourself do that thing or that skill and imagining and feeling your muscles actually reacting by closing your eyes and seeing yourself do it. So you'll see that a lot of times in professional sports, especially gymnastics, where a student will get there and they're getting ready to go. They'll have their eyes closed for a second and then they open their eyes. My job was to stand there and if I did not think they were ready, I would say, you know what, stop. Go do some more drills. Get out of here until you get your mind set. Don't come back until you're ready. The thing that we did in the gym, when you're dealing with a high-level competitive skill that can potentially cause death or paralysis, you had to make sure one thing, and this was the theme at all the gyms I taught at across the state of California, and that is this. Do not say it is not allowed in your vocabulary to say I can't. If you say I can't, leave the gym, go home, and come back tomorrow. I'm bringing this to a point here in a second. So my point was to watch these gymnasts. And as I was standing there and they're getting ready to do this without a harness, I would have to catch them. If they got off kilter or twisted up or messed up, I had to try to grab their hips and place their feet on the ground. Or, and in some cases this had to happen, where I tackle them in midair, turn, and land on my back so they don't land on their head. That's what you do as a coach. And you have to be able to watch that timing so I can dance. Okay, never mind. I didn't do that professionally. So when that student got into the mode where they were preparing their mind mentally to do this skill, they would open their eyes. And I had to see fire coming out of their eyes. I had to see that they had the eye of the tiger. They were motivated, determined, and I can tell just by looking at them, they were 100% ready to do this skill before they went off and did that skill. Does that make sense, ladies and gentlemen? How many of you know that God wants us to be in 100%? that sound good? I had to make sure they were determined. Now, in 1983, one of the most incredible events in human history took place. Then, my favorite team, the San Francisco 49ers at that time, beat the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. Yes. And you know what? It was interesting because Joe Montana lobbed a high ball into the end zone, and Dwight Clark jumped 39 feet in the air, grabbed that thing, and clenched the championship. It was awesome. But here's the cool thing, is at the end of that thing, the TV and news came around, and they videoed, and they, they filmed um, Tex, Tex, I just forgot his name, Tex what? Tex Ram, that's right, sorry. It always confuses me, because it sounds like an R, Ram, and it's spelled S-H. So anyways, Tex Ram, and they said, what was it? What was it that made the game? What was it that changed the situation? He said this, you know what? The Cowboys, my team, came out determined not to lose, but the 49ers came out determined to win. There's a difference, ladies and gentlemen, in how you think about your life and how you work your business and how you do your family. Determined not to lose or determined to win? Which side do you fall on? Now, I say that to say this. James chapter four, James is teaching a message that is pretty strong. It's, it, he, he's going to say some strong words, as we're going to see here in this text, because it's life and death. You see, me as a coach, coaching these students, getting ready to do high-level gymnastic skills, I had to make sure that all barriers were removed. Sometimes they were physical. A lot of time they were mental. I had to make sure that before they did that, they were ready. So I would push them aside. No, go do your skills. You're not ready. Give it another day or two. I wanted to make sure why, because as a good coach, I wanted them to reach their potential. And I did not want them to get hurt because I cared for them. Does that make sense? 
So even though my tone may have been strong, it had a purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? I need you to understand what I'm saying because you're going to see the tone in the book of James. You got to understand James is approaching us because he wants to remove the barriers that are hindering your walk with God. He wants, if he has to speak up a little bit harder to make sure that you listen, because he's trying to get you somewhere. You see, here's the thing. The title of this message is this, training for reigning, ladies and gentlemen. We're in a series called Basic Training, but training for reigning. In fact, my big idea today is this, come close to God and God will come close to you. How many you know God wants to remove the barriers in your life so that you could reach your full potential? Because God wants you safe. And more importantly than that, doggone it, God's just stinking in love with you. When you understand that, it'll change everything. So before we dive into our text, I want to share three things that James says here, building up to this text. In James chapter 1, verse 4, he gives some of the ideas or ideals or motivations behind why his book that he had written, the half-brother of Jesus, is so strong. That we may, James chapter 1, verse 4, be perfect and complete. How many know God's desire is that you would be perfect, that you would be complete, everything that you need in his purpose and in his will for your life, that you would have that today. God desires that for you. It starts from knowing him, amen? But why? But why? Well, James answers that question in James chapter 1, verse 18. Because we are his prized possession. Sir, don't you know that you are God's prized possession? You are God's boy. You are God's man. God has destined you for great things. God has destined you to change the world. God has destined you to change your world. God has destined you to be a part of something big and great. And God wants to remove all those barriers that are hindering you from from your walk with God. God wants to remove that stuff, that sin and the addiction to get rid of it so he can see you fly, ladies and gentlemen, because God loves you, gentlemen. Ladies, you're God's girl. God wants the best for you. He wants you to find a man that loves Jesus. You know, God wants to find, God God wants you to know that you are his girl, and he wants the absolute best for you. Don't settle for a guy that doesn't love Jesus, because that man doesn't know God. Don't settle for that. You're better than that. Because you are God's girl. He wants the very best for you. He says this in James 2, 5, listen to me. You know, right now I'm going to drop a big heavy load of one of the most important theological concepts you can understand in your entire existence. You take this one thing home, it'll change your life, it'll change your world, it'll change your marriage, it'll change your work, it'll change everything you do. In fact, you won't even hardly need me as a pastor or any of the pastors here if you do this one thing. When you have a problem, when you have a marriage problem, when you have a business problem, when you have a friendship problem, when you have a neighbor problem, talk to God and listen. 99.9% of all your problems, God will just download the information you need to do, and you might need to go back to your wife and beg her forgiveness, and God will tell you to do it. You don't have to come here to a pastor and and all of a sudden come to me, and I tell you, well, go ask her for forgiveness. Just do it. Amen? 
I can't tell you how many times God has answered my prayers because I simply went to God. But here's the point. Listen to this. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? It's because of Jesus in your life that he wants to raise us up, those who were lost in sin, to a place where we are training for reigning, to bring us into our purpose. And that is you, ladies and gentlemen. So watch this. He says, aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God promised for those who love him? We know that it all boils down to one thing in life, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That's right. You see, all of our decisions are, I chose me because I love me, or I chose God because I love God. Everything you do in life, you're either choosing you or God or something outside of God. I encourage you to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Choose him first, and you'll stay out of a lot of trouble. Trust me. Either that or, gentlemen, just listen to your wife. (laughs) So the first thing we need to do, ladies and gentlemen, number one, is we need to recognize that there's a problem. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings on the planet, he placed them in a garden, a garden of Eden. It was a place where they existed 24-7 in the presence of God. That was their natural habitat. That's where they lived. That's where they existed. That's That's where they were created to be. And in that natural habitat, they breathed in the presence. They lived the presence of God in every second of every given moment of their day. And then God put a tree in the middle of that garden and said, don't eat it, because God was very uh, pointful in putting that tree there to make sure that we understood that we weren't slaves, that we had free will. You see, if you're in a perfect environment, but there's no potential to sin, you're a slave, you're not free. But God put that tree there so it would acclimate our free will. We could choose God or we could choose not God. He placed that into our hands. Otherwise, there's absolutely at all not a single point to having that tree in that garden and for God to say, don't touch that one. Now, what was so amazing, he said, you've got it all. Every tree, every plant, every animal, every river, every mountain, every stream, every leaf, every acorn, every vegetable, every plant, everything in all of existence, every last little tiny thing is yours. Just keep this one for me. And we still took and ate of that fruit, which, by the way, probably wasn't an apple. We don't know what it is. <laughs> it's pretty good. I didn't know I'd get a laugh out of that. I'm not even a joke teller. So they ate, and because of that, it broke their relationship with God. You know how it works when you do something wrong and it hurts your relationship in your marriage, or it hurts that relationship, it breaks it, they broke the relationship with God. And thus started a time in our life where we would slowly die because God removed us from the Garden of Eden and cast us into the wilderness to live there in a fallen state. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. How many of you ever had a fish when you were a little kid? Anybody? So I had a fish when I was a little kid. I think I won them usually from Carter carnivals or something like that. And I remember having this fish and I, I was very playful with it. I would take it out of its water and put it on the table. I think it loved me. It went like this all the time. It was showing off. I said, yes. I'll give it food, try to train it, put it back in the water. I really do love fish. And I'm sorry for any of those I had to send to the ocean of life. <laughs> but here's the point. 
A fish outside of water is outside of its natural habitat. We currently exist outside of our natural habitat. This is not it. It's the 24-7 presence of God for which we were actually created to live in. That's why we die. And our spiritual relationship has been separated from God. That's the problem. That's what we recognize. We've all sinned. The Bible says this, that we are all sinners. So let's go ahead and read James chapter 4, verse 1. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war with inside of you? Evil desires. James chapter one talked about that. He said, look it, here's the progression to a person's falling away from God or a person's sin. First of all, there's temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. But when you allow that temptation and that thought process, James chapter one, verse 13, to be in your mind and you allow it to stay there without kicking it out, it eventually turns into a desire. And then once it becomes a desire, you either kick it out or you begin to do it. Once you do it, that desire, because it separates you from God, because it's wrong, leads to sin. Then you feel bad. You feel shameful. Why did I look at that? Why did I do that? Why did I yell at my spouse? Why did I blow up? What's going on with me? And then you either repent or you don't. And for those who don't repent because maybe they feel too ashamed or for whatever reason or they just like it and they want to go that direction, they eventually can lead down to the pathway of death. That's the four-step progression found in James chapter 1, verse 13. He's warning against that. Don't let those evil desires inside of you linger. In fact, the Bible says this, Romans chapter 3, for everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us, me, I have sinned. I am one of the greatest of sinners, as the Apostle Paul said, but I strive not to sin anymore. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Pretty hard to have a good heart when it's desperately wicked. In fact, we don't even know what our heart wants or needs so much so that we learn to pray in tongues because the Spirit of God prays through us because it knows better what we need than even us. Bible says in Psalms chapter 51, verse 5, David recognized this, for I was born a sinner. So the age-old question, when someone says, but I was born with this desire, that's right. You were all born with evil desires, every single one of them. I'm married, but if I have a desire to sleep with other women, I can't sit there and claim, well, I've had this desire since I was born, so God made me that way, so I'm going to live it out. No, I choose my wife over All other things. I choose God and what he has in his word over all other things. Does it make sense? We all have evil desires. We were born in a fallen state because we weren't born in the Garden of Eden. We were born sinful. So we have to recognize the problem. That's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. That's what happens when you're in the gym and you're coaching. You remove those barriers. You get rid of them so that they can reach their full potential. Number two, you have to recalibrate your life. Go back and I send them for retraining. I hone in that muscle. If they do one of those skills in the gymnastics world and something went awry, I send them back to retrain that specific muscle that keeps on making them do or do the skill the wrong way so that they can live and not die. So recalibration for us goes back to the very first message Jesus ever spoke as he began his ministry. And it was this, found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, repent The kingdom of God is at hand. A recalibration is a repentance. It means, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And it doesn't just mean a cavalier flipping, I'm sorry, and I'm just going to move forward. It means that you actually feel bad for what you did, and you want to change. Now, notice this. The Bible says that in the last days, in the last days, Jude chapter 1, 
There will be people who will use the grace of God as a license for immorality, to sin. There will be people just like, ah, God forgives me. I'm in the grace of God. I'm under the grace, so whatever. That's great, but don't take, hold the grace of God is so special and so awesome in your life that you cherish it, that you recognize that it was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ who went to a cross instead of us. That is the most powerful thing that we could receive, that God loved us so much, he pours out his grace on us so that we could be free, ladies and gentlemen. We couldn't do it in of ourselves. We couldn't fix the problem between God and us. God. God had to fix the problem. Amen? Amen. So we recalibrate our life. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 5 says this, B, they say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Now, I'm going to need a volunteer for this. I need you to come up. AJ, would you come up here real quick? Uh, just go ahead and come on up here and come stand on this side of the platform with me. Man, I got to tell you, you are one good-looking dude. You must have beautiful parents. Yeah, pretty buff, too. Love it. It's my oldest boy. So uh, Galatians chapter 5 says this, talking about the Spirit of God that's inside of us. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, those desires that we were born in a sinful state that reside inside of us that we need to reject so we choose God's way over the world's way. So here's what it looks like when you're walking with the Holy Spirit. We're just gonna walk to the other side of the stage. I'm just gonna walk along with you. Imagine I'm just walking and the Holy Spirit's with me. He's the Holy Spirit and we're just hanging out doing life together. We're being friends. All right, thanks, two more. Now, by the way, if you wanna understand the, the, the sinful nature, just read Galatians chapter five. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Take my wrist, walk me around. He's leading me. Wherever he goes, I'm going to go. If he turns, I turn. If he goes straight, I go straight. Thank you. Perfect. Now over here. And finally, the last one, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. So you're going to step with your right foot forward first. Go. I'm keeping in step. I'm following. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Thank you, AJ. You can step off the platform. Give him a round of applause. Thank you, guys. You see, ladies and gentlemen, listen to what he says. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit is placed within us, should be faithful to him. You see, when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, the spirit of God was deposited in us. Remember, it was severed in the fall, but God placed his spirit inside of us so that we can begin to grow and experience the life and power of God in today's day and age, here and now. It's not some offset future moment when we're gonna die and be with Jesus. It's now, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said, I came now that you might have abundant life, spiritual life. That's today, ladies and gentlemen. That's so important for us to understand because that is God's desire for you. He wants to remove all the barriers, all the hindrances, all the challenges, all the stuff that gets in the way because he knows us better than we know ourselves. So he infuses us with the Holy Spirit. And he asks, just don't grieve, 2 Thessalonians, the Holy Spirit that I put inside of you. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Holy Spirit every time we sin and do things that are contrary to the word of God. Because it's such a special and beautiful gift. God has put himself 
inside of us. And we need to cherish that as the most prized possession that we have in all of existence. Yes, more important than that vehicle, more important than those children, more important than your wife, more important than that job, more important than that sports team that you love with all your heart, more important than anything else in life is this presence of God because God, through his presence, is going to bring you to your destiny. And so when we get to a place where we say, God, I need more of your Holy Spirit, more of you, more of you, God, less of me, more of you, God. Humble me, change me. I repent of anger. I repent of, of walking in fear. I repent of doubt, God. Lord, I repent of yelling at my spouse. I repent of yelling at my kids. God, I repent of watching that movie a little too long. I shouldn't have watched it. God, I repent of, of this music I shouldn't have listened to. God, I repent of the stuff of the world that I need to be careful with, God. Oh, Holy Spirit, I don't want to grieve you. Spirit of God is so precious, so beautiful. And that spirit wants to lead you. The spirit of God talks to you every day. Did you know in the book of Acts, after Jesus went to be with the Father, the comforter came, and it was the Holy Spirit that was left with us as the comforter to lead us and guide us every day. In fact, when you read through the entire book of Acts, you're gonna see that every time the apostles prayed or sought God, it says the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, leading them, guiding them. Jesus went into the time of temptation led by the Holy Spirit and came out empowered by the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter four. The importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this. The grace of Jesus. How many of you know that we have grace because of Jesus' work on the cross? And the love of the Father, how many of you know it was because of the love of the Father that he sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us, to purchase us from sin and death, amen? And then it goes on to say this, and the fellowship, koinonia, of the Holy Spirit, this fellowship that we are in an interchange and interaction with every single day of our life. Watch, watch. In fact, going back just to a quick verse, he says this, he says this about those who are not in tune with the Holy Spirit and protecting the Holy Spirit. He says very powerful words. He says, you adulterers. Wow. That's strong stuff, isn't it? Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think, that, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Now that, I'm not even going to go into where that one little sentence basically says. I'm just going to tell you in one sentence just the basic gist of what that sentence means. Basically, James and, his, and the people, the Christians around that time, were translating or changing the word of God to fit their culture. I mean, no, the word of God doesn't change to fit the nuances of our culture. The word of God should change the culture. In fact, you'll note this, that in the Garden of Eden, there was only one culture. All other cultures around the world were birthed from the fall, birthed from sin. That's why Jesus' first words were, repent, I'm bringing a kingdom. And that's the kingdom we're about. And that culture is the culture we live in, not the cultures of this world. Those came from sin. My culture comes from heaven. That's why we're citizens of heaven, ladies and gentlemen, not citizens of this earth. We have been transported, so we recognize the problem. We recalibrate our life by asking God for forgiveness, and he gives grace generously. Say generously. generously. 
as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I remember once when I was studying martial arts, one of the other things that I taught professionally, I used to own my own dojo once. And um, before I did that, I was a, yeah, an orange belt. And one day, because I had been doing gymnastics all these years, I thought I could kick better than everybody else. I could do all these things. I got real cocky. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to take on the red belt. Next thing I knew, I was laying on the ground with a bloody nose. The end of that. I learned to humble myself. Notice that the mandate is that you, that we, ladies and gentlemen, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are to be humble, ladies and gentlemen. All that means in a nutshell is this. I can do nothing in and of myself. Whatever God's purpose and will is for my life, that's what I want to do. In fact, he points that out in James chapter 4, verse 13. Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year, we will do business there and make a profit, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. Here one day, gone the next. We don't even know that. So we submit ourselves to God and we say, God, whatever your will, whatever your purpose is in my life, and then we aim at fulfilling his purpose and destiny by glorifying God in everything we do. So we recalibrate by forgiveness. Now, interesting, but the next point is this, number three, revive your purpose. The word revive in the dictionary means this, to resuscitate, to bring to life, to bring back, to bring back from the edge of death, to give new strength. God wants to give you new strength, ladies and gentlemen. New energy, vitality, reinvigorate, revitalize, refresh, energize. God wants to pour that out on you. And when we give our life to Jesus, the Bible says we are a new creature, a new creation. All things have become new. And we experience the presence of God living inside of us to the degree that you submit yourself over to the Lord will be the degree that you experience the power flowing in your life. Ooh, that'll preach. Wow, I'm giving that some time to resonate. To the degree that you submit yourself to God will be the degree that you experience the power of God in your life. I don't know about you, but I want to say, God, take it all away. I just want you, God, more of you, less of me, more of you. We humble ourselves. So we revive our purpose. In 1922, a gentleman by the name of Lewis Graff had retired. And when he had retired, he was sitting at home and he felt purposeless. He felt alone. He didn't know what to do. He wanted something to do, but couldn't figure it out. And so he did the next best thing. He began to pray. And he did one of the most profound things a human being can ever do. He listened. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, life is incredibly easy. For all you doctors in here and uh, that I see, most doctors I ever talk to say, you know, 80% of every problem that a person goes through would actually be healed if they would just do simple things. Eat healthy, exercise, and drink water. But we don't even do that. That's why you keep them busy with a job and pop them, giving you pills. It's simple. You want to stay in love with God? Go to church, read your Bible, pray, Worship God. Super simple. But we discard the simple things so we can chase worldly things that absolutely bring no satisfaction. I don't care what Snickers says. <laughs> Come on. 
So Louis Graf prayed, and God said, I want you to go to Germany. What? Go to Germany? What, what, what? Yes, go to Germany. So he packs his bags, he heads to Germany. In fact, after he got to Germany, he actually got lost in a forest. Thought he was gonna die, finally pops out of the forest and goes, thank God, and he popped out at this little village. And at this village, he begins to walk through. He comes up to a person in half German English trying to figure out and communicate. He says, is there anybody sick here? Anybody who needs healing? And he said, oh, you just wait till tonight. Well, well, no, is there that I can go to now? I want to pray. No, you just wait till tonight. So he got a room and he waited. And there at night, he could hear the moans. Oh, ah. There was a man in the village who had this disease that every part of his body was in excruciating pain at the simple touch. No matter where you touched him, it was incredible pain. When he would sit, incredible pain. As he would stand, the bottom of his feet were in pain. When he would lay in bed at night, he would try to get any kind of sleep that he could as he would roll around from side to back to side, trying to sleep without any pain, and he would moan. And this guy, Luis Graf, He got up that morning, he said, where is this guy? Where is he at? And there were no fancy words, no fancy prayers. In fact, from this guy's perspective, he said all he knew is this guy came into his house and his eyes were on fire. This guy walked into the room. He said, today, God is going to do a miracle in your life. He didn't even bother to pray. He walked over to him, grabbed his hand, pulled him up out of bed. He said, in the name of Jesus, walk and he got up. Praise God, come on. That man began to jump and he said, I'm healed. And that man gave his, he wasn't even a Christian yet. He gave his life to the Lord. That moment, you get healed from something like that, you're gonna give your life to Jesus. He gives his life to Jesus and then he, over the next couple of years, leads his son to the Lord. And then his son becomes a pastor and leads his son to the Lord, so the grandson of the first gentleman. And that grandson grew up in the church. His dad had only had a church of about 30, 50 people just plugging along in Germany, preaching the gospel. And one day, he felt the call of God on his life. And when you know it, the women of God came out of that church. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when you are married to a woman of God who prays, you got one of the most powerful gifts this planet can ever give you. Gentlemen, for all of you guys who are single, your first thing should not be, is she hot and sexy? It should be, is she a praying woman of God? Because everything else does not matter compared to that. When you have a woman of God that can pray, the power of the universe and of God is at your fingertips. That's why the Bible clearly says, and women, I'm preparing this. You better give me an amen. I'm going to be sad. That's why the Bible clearly says that a woman is a gift directly from God. And if you're not feeling like that because your marriage is messed up, you better be at this altar when I call an altar call. God's going to change that too. Revive your purpose, ladies and gentlemen. So this young man These women came out, they laid hands on them, they prayed, they began to prophesy. They said, you are gonna go to Africa and preach the gospel. Africa, I only speak German and English. You're going to Africa. So he left and started to preach the gospel in Africa. 
Years later, as people are getting healed and touched, the Spirit of God is pouring out. The power of God is even raising the dead who are preaching the gospel and leading hundreds of thousands to the Lord. This man, Reinhard Bonnke, has led over 80 million people to Jesus. He led more people to Jesus than Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, you will do greater things than I have been doing. You either believe it or you don't. There is no I can't. There is no halfway in. You're either 100% or you're not. The end. Sorry, I'm preaching in coaching terms because James is preaching in coaching terms because I was a coach. Normally, I'm pretty soft. <laughs> That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Revive your purpose. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter how much you messed up. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Your marriage is not done. Your life is not done. Your job is not done. Your kids are not done. You're not done. Don't get mad at me because I'm preaching strong. I'm coaching today. I'm coaching today. You're not done. God wants to raise you up. He wants to remove all those barriers. Get rid of all that stuff that's holding you back so you can run the race to win the prize. If you have to beat your body into submission like the apostle Paul said, do it. Train yourself. Train. That's why we train up our children in the way we should go. Train for reigning. Training for reigning. That's the process that you're in. God has got you on the fast track. Give into it. Let him remove the barriers. Repent where you need to repent. Respond to the altar when you need to respond. Give the Lord your praise and follow God and you'll see amazing things happen. That's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Before he raised up his Elisha, the person who's going to take over his ministry, because Reinhard Bonnke is older now. He's in his 80s. He had a crusade. Over 6 million people came to that crusade. No dictator, no president, no king has ever assimilated or brought together more people in human history than that one man under the power of God. In order to accommodate all the people at this crusade that he had in Logos, Africa, he trained up 250,000 ushers and prayer warriors to work the altar. That's almost more people that are in this entire valley, trained, equipped, and ready to rock. 3,400 plus thousand people filled out cards, not raised hands and people guesstimate like an evangelist. Filled out cards saying, I give my life to Jesus. There are now currently more Christians in Africa than there are in America. And they are preaching the gospel and sending missionaries here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there is revival. As you know, some of you know, for almost six months, I planted a church in Cairo, Egypt, with a friend who was planting a church. We went out on the streets ministering to people. For any of you who speak Arabic, kefalek, alhamdulillah. I spent six months learning and growing and evangelizing and witnessing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I just watched an assembly of Christians hidden out in the rocks. They filmed it on YouTube. You can find it. Put Egyptian Christians celebrating Jesus, 70,000 men and women of God celebrating Isu, Jesus in Arabic. It's amazing what God is doing in the Middle East, in China, in Africa today. There is a revival breaking out. I want a part of that. I want a piece of that. God is healing. His kingdom is advancing. Not the kingdom of this culture or this world or this land, but the kingdom of the living God is in this place. 
The final point is that we are being trained to reign. Verse 10, I'm going to skip the other verses for sake of time. Verse 10 says, humble yourself before God. Repent. Turn. Get rid of whatever barrier needs to be getting rid of. I don't care what you've done. You need to repent. And he will lift you up. That word lift is the Greek word hoopsos, which is the same word used when Jesus was raised to the right hand of the Father. Anybody who knows their Bible, read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 2, verse 6. It's one sentence in the Greek. There shouldn't be a chapter division there. And it basically, in a nutshell, says this. When you gave your life to Christ, the beginning of you reigning and ruling with Christ began at that moment. Not in some future moment when we die and go be with Jesus. That's why the book of Matthew says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. No the power that God has for you, the destiny, the purpose he has in store for you. Give up all the junk. It's like we go around digging in the trash can. Oh, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And you settle for so much garbage because you think and you see with your own eyes and you think that this is better than the things of God. And God's saying, honey, quit digging out of the trash. Don't you know I've raised you up to be a king or a prince or a queen, I should say? Don't you know I've destined you for better than that? Quit digging out of the trash, doggone it. Know who you are. You're his prized possession. I want to close with this. If you've come in here tired and anxious, restless, you feel you've been moving but getting nowhere, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you felt disillusioned, and dissatisfied. You're not going to find satisfaction in the world. God says, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely. God is offering it to you because guess what? He wants you. He loves you more than you love anything else on this earth. If you've sinned or fallen back, he says, come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool, Isaiah 118. If you felt powerless, purposeless, pointless, Jesus says this, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of this world. It's yours. you felt lost and alone. And today I'm going to speak to some people who felt lost, alone, and isolated. I really believe God has spoken specifically that there are people that are going to be here today that have felt those things, and God knows, and God's going to change that. Listen to these words. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish by getting into a life group. I'm the connections pastor. I have to say that. No, it's because here at Center Point, we love you. We want to connect with you. We want to see you thrive like James, like God. That is our heart, that we would all reach our destiny together. We would all win the race that we're running together, hand in hand, heart to heart. As God raises up conquerors and champions, you and me, if you're broken and you're hurt and you're in need of healing, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come. And he came. 
and he healed the man's hand to Peter who just needed a demonstration of God's power. He said, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come on the water. And Jesus said one word. He said, come. After being in the grave for over three days, the women crying, Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb and he says two words. He says, Lazarus, the reason he said Lazarus, because if he just said anything generic, all those people in those tombs would rise from the dead. Spirit of God descended down into that grave, found Lazarus. He said, come. God is calling you by name, sweetheart. It's your choice. It's a free choice. I'm not going to force you to do anything. You're not some robot. He created you, and you have to serve him. What kind of love would that be if God created you and said, you know what? You have to serve me, and you have to love me, and that's it, period, the end. You get no choice. And he put that tree in the garden. He said, but it's your choice, and we choose to love God because we choose it. Out of our own free will, because we love God, and we know from his word, we believe by faith, we listen, we obey that he has something far greater than we can even possibly imagine or understand. Somewhere it says that in the word of God. Son, are you tired of running? Are you tired of all the problems you caused in yourself because of poor decisions? God knows your name. You're his boy. Why are you running? You probably have a praying mother. You're not going to win. Give up now. Give up was a little old lady who worked for a famous philosopher who traveled the world teaching atheism. She was his secretary. Every time they would get in discussion, she said, I don't know any of that. I don't know all that philosophy stuff, that theology, all that stuff. I just know God loves you. And every time he would go, she would say, I'm praying for you. He would say, no, no, you don't need to pray for me. She'd say, I'm going to pray for you anyway. It's okay. Several years go by, and him holding conferences, standing room only, teaching people that there is no God. That woman with no theology degree, was his secretary, led him to Jesus. Because you can't deny a praying woman of God or a man of God. So gentlemen, if you have a mama praying for you, a wife praying for you, I'm going to have an altar call. Give up. You can come back here 10 years from now. I'll be waiting. You'll give up. One of these days, when you realize there ain't nothing out there, it's a dead man's zone. Come to life. And so this morning, as I close this message, if you're here, and you're here for the first time, and you don't know Jesus, and you want to give your life to Jesus, something I said tugged at your heart. It's the Holy Spirit's not me. I'm nothing. Believe me, I'm nothing. The Holy Spirit tugging in your heart. Your, your heart is pounding in your chest. God's, God's pulling you, saying, you're mine. Come on. Maybe you're here today, and you've gotten so far away from God. You know it's the right thing to do, but you've just been disobedient because you're doing your thing, whatever that thing is. You know you need to do the right thing, and today your heart's beating, and you know, and you want to. I'm saying, come on. In fact, right now, maybe only one of you, maybe 10 of you, I don't know. But I'm raising up powerful Christians, not wimpy Christians. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to do something greater than that. I'm going to count to three, and you're going to stand up and walk forward to this altar in front of everybody. 
One, two, three. Come on, get up. Get up. Any of you in those places? Come on, don't wait. Just get up. Come on. Come on. Come on, everybody. Come on. Prayer team, would you come? Prayer team, come on. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that there is a woman in here who is hurting and who is broken because your marriage is broken. Get up and come down here right now. Come on. Come on. Your marriage is broken. Get up here. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment. God wants to change it. God wants to change it. God wants to give you his Holy Spirit. If you're here and you've been struggling with addiction, you've been looking at things on the computer that you are not proud of, you've been addicted to alcohol or gotten yourself lost in stuff that you hate, come on up here. Come on. Jesus spoke one word. Come. Hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. Where's my prayer team? Where are my pastors? Where are you at? Come on. Begin to pray. Begin to pray. Hallelujah.